0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope you've had a fantastic week and I hope this week's going well as well. My guest today was actually on the show 100 shows ago, 664 under the title of Quitting is Like a Disease with Dan Cooper. That was in September of 2020. In that show, or just after that show, Dan told me about the race he was going to attempt. That race finally came to fruition in February this year when Dan took on 1,000 miles across Alaska. It's absolutely awesome to get Dan back on the show to not only talk about that trip, I think it would be quite a long show, it's a long show anyway, but it would be an even longer show if we were to go over the 26 days that he took to cover the 1000 miles in Alaska. But this show is about more than just that challenge. This show is about a number of different things that he has learned from the challenge directly and indirectly. He's a super open guy. We even get a special appearance from his sons towards the end of the show as well. Dan shares with us some things that I think give us all a lot to think about. This is episode number 764 of the Inner Fight podcast with Dan Cooper. Enjoy the show. Dan Cooper, mate, welcome back to the show. How's it going?
1: Yeah, it's good, mate. It's good to be back on as well. I enjoyed the last chat. So I'm looking forward to this. I think maybe a few laughs.
0: Yeah, mate, it was um, it was a while ago. It's actually we've done I've done a hundred shows since I spoke to you last, mate. But we uh, we had a we had a good conversation then. Quitting is like a disease number six hundred and sixty four. That was a uh, an intro. But mate, I think from what we we're just chatting about there, I think today's chat could be a little bit more uh, <laughs> could be a little bit more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but mate, I want to kick off with you done something absolutely. Incredible at the start of this year, 1,000 miles across Alaska, almost 27 days. Mate, tell us, kick it off, and let's have a chat about that to start with because this is wild.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so I can't remember whether I spoke to you before or after I did the 350. I would say after that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 350 was the qualifier, uh, so that goes from Anchorage to Gnome, which Gnome's just on, well, not just, but it's probably 120 miles on the other side of the Alaskan range. That's the last easy place to get extracted from, so like a plane or anything like that. But after that, it it gets really remote, really remote. Um, So you do the qualifier there, show that you're not going to die in the wilderness and you can support yourself. And then you get invited back to do the 1,000. So I went back to do the 1,000. I was delayed by a year because of COVID and travel, sort of thing i was prepared to do it because i thought it just makes another interesting complication to the race but they actually changed the race route so went back uh beginning of this year kind of pretty much just started walking from anchorage and stopped when i got to know 26 and a half days later whatever <laughs> it was so there's a lot that happened between obviously the start and the finish um sort of things so i guess you gotta know, where you want this to go and then I'll sort of talk around that there's, there's plenty plenty that comes out of this
0: yeah I, I think to kick off mate you know that this is gonna be like almost a month of your life yeah how do you start a challenge that's so huge like on day one are you like you just know that I've got 30 days left. Like, how do you how do you wrap your mind around the enormity of the task is really my first question, mate.
1: Yeah, so I didn't really think about it as one task or a single effort. So sort of I knew I had 30 – got 30 days to get there, but you've got until midnight on that 30th day. So it's 31 days almost, like a minute short of 31 days or whatever it turns out to be. Right. One second. Um, so I thought I've just got to set a pace early on so that I can – put four or five days in the bank in case I hit a blizzard or some shit weather or I get, you know, I go through too much suffering and I slow down towards the end sort of thing. So it was more around yeah. setting a pace early and I kind of broke it down into almost thirds. So I broke down the first part of the race to the point at McGrath where I'd been to previously because I knew the yeah. train between Anchorage and McGrath. Right. And then there was a, a town, Unicocleet, Unic- which is on the coast. So from McGrath, you go up, hit the Yukon River, you go 160 miles down the Yukon River, and then you kind of go another 70 miles across an old trading route, and then you hit the coast. So from McGrath to the coast, it's probably about another 350-ish. So that was right. the 700-mile mark. So I made that the second third, and then from there to the end is the last third. So I just broke it up into those thirds Yeah. because uh, I knew the terrain pretty well for the first point. I kind of – knew what to expect. And I was working off previous race times as to where I should be at certain time points. And because there wasn't anywhere near as much snow this time and the trail was really good, I was probably about a day, day and a half ahead of previous when I hit McGrath. Uh, And then from there, it was just trying to make as good a pace as I could to get to the coast. And then from the coast, I had enough time to sort of go through to Nome. But even within that, it's just from one checkpoint to the next checkpoint or from sunrise to sunset, or from meal to meal yeah you know, I'll, I'll have a sip of water in two hours having a sip of water and then i go okay i'll go another two hours i have something to eat and then that occupies my time for two hours and then i'll go again and then i'll go again and then i'll go again um <laughs> because if you think oh, i'm going to be out here for a month like month's a massive amount of time and i've got no context to put that to like i've never been yes. in the subarctic for a month so i don't know what that looks like after eight days or 10 days from previous events it's completely unknown to me so i didn't Didn't think about that. I just took that as it came.
0: It's quite opposite what we kind of see in the world at the moment, mate, where we see a lot of instant gratification. We know exactly when we're going to reach a place before we've even left to get there. We stick a a destination in Google Maps and it tells us, it gives us a forecast that we're going to be there in 45 minutes and this is the route we're going to go. And it also (laughs) tells us that, you know, there's a little red spot on the way and there's traffic. So... What I'm saying here, mate, is that I believe that we're being conditioned to not have that mindset that you just spoke about, whereas you have and people are continuing to do extreme endurance events with that mindset. How is the world, is is the world unpreparing us for these events, do you think, mate?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's a lot going on in the current world. Um, And not much of it is moving in a positive direction. Um, But I sort of I came to grips with uncertainty and chaos a long time ago, so I can get out of bed, and I'm comfortable with the fact I've got no idea what's going to happen today. So, like, I don't need (laughs) to have a schedule. I don't need to sort of know things because I'm happy that I can just if problems come up, I can work out how to solve that sort of thing. Right. But one day a problem come up that I can't solve, and then there'll be a point I no longer have to worry about that anyway. Um, so I think everyone, I understand why we like certainty because we'd like to be able to predict our day forecast because there's a number of things around that. When you look at survival mechanisms, um, but people like this certainty. Like They like to know that when they get up, it's going to take X amount of time for work, so they leave at a certain time sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They like fast food shops that serve the same foods because they know what they're going to get. People don't seem to like surprises or that uncertainty. So kind of fear of yeah. the unknown type of thing. So... To go off and do these races, you have to be really comfortable with the unknown. So if you haven't developed that as a capacity, then, you know, as you of, you just go at it progressively yeah. sort of thing. But yeah. you do see more and more people doing these ultras and these sort of things. So I think there's still a really solid percentage of the community or society that want these challenges and they're curious about the unknown. But yes. the world itself seems to be moving around certainty.
0: It's weird, isn't it, mate? Because you said something interesting there, like you're okay with waking up without a schedule, but, you know, we read, we read all these books about how to be successful and they're like, you know, plan your day, know what time you're going to get up, know what you're going to, you know, know how long you're going to take for it to have a shit and stuff like that. And it's like, but it, it's true though, isn't it? It's like, you know, and yeah. the, the first thing we do as sort of, especially in our job in, in, in performance is like, okay, your day's a mess. Let's instill some structure. To, to try and help you, you know, build some routines. We hear this the whole time. Like, if you don't have a routine around your food, then you, the chance of you ordering some shit takeaway goes through the roof. But to be successful in an event like we're talking about that, that, that you did at the start of the year, we're kind of almost going against the flow. So isn't it a mixed message that we, that we're sending to ourselves and that we're sending to people?
1: Yeah, it's a good point um And I, everyone's different. Like he, every individual, different sort of thing. So, like I'll say a lot of things that are generalised or about me, sort of thing. And yeah. some people might work for some, they might not, sort of thing. So I completely understand why. Um, I know people that have very tight schedules, and that works very well for them. That's just what they like, and they're comfortable yeah. within that. Um, but they still have the ability that when something throws that out of whack they can adjust back into it, sort of thing. Like They don't get completely freaked out when they have to adjust shit or when things don't go according to the plan. Yeah. Um, don't probably just because of the experiences I've had, I'm quite comfortable with the fact that my plans will never go the way that <laughs> I think they're going to go. And I potentially don't put as much effort as I should into it because I know that as soon as I step off, the environment in Alaska is going to take control of that race. So I just have to almost relinquish complete control to the environment. And we'll just right. take whatever comes of it, sort of thing. But in saying that, I still do have a little bit of structure around my time uh, and my days and these sort of things. And I think, you know, if you're talking about, say, so maybe nutrition, somebody that doesn't have very good discipline or that sort of thing, then a plan is probably the exact thing that they need. So it's like, like a lot of things, it's kind of context, I think. Yeah. Um, Agreed. You know what I mean? Like, it's just if that works for that person and they're comfortable with that, then do it. But just make yeah. sure you're not <laughs> sacrificing any other skills or capacities that are going to be useful by doing that alone.
0: So what did you take a lot of control over as you headed out onto this unreal journey, mate? Like what were the things, did you identify certain things like you mentioned before, like we are talking about there, like nutrition, what did you know that you could actually control? Did you identify those things?
1: Yeah, so I do do the planning around, like I look at what temperatures I can expect it to be and then make sure I've got the right gear um so all my warm gear and that sort of thing i did some research around that to make sure that i could survive minus 60 for multiple days um not be comfortable but survive it so some of that stuff like what you can control you control and then you try and make sure you've got the equipment and the understanding of how to mitigate the impact of the things you can't control then kind of just solve understand what problems you might come across and then work out what you need to solve those and then think in terms of, okay, worst case, have I got the ability to survive this sort of thing? So it's kind of using a little bit of experience, working out where I'd gone wrong previously, making sure that I wasn't setting myself up for the same mistakes and then just kind of adjusting. Uh, And then a, a little bit of just hoping for the best, really, because... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like things can go really wrong out there they did for a couple of races they had they going really well and just weather conditions really degraded where they were at that point of time and things just turned really bad for them so i know a couple of mushers had to get rescued along uh some of the mountains towards the end one of the races got some really bad frostbite doing the there's a part where he the sea um or the norton sound i think it is which is really really exposed and he hit that during really poor weather um there was another race that had to be rescued it was held up in a cabin that got hit in a couple of what they call blowholes where the wind just roars out of the mountains across some open plains towards the sea and if you get it's about five miles if you get caught in there it can just push you across the ice um wow. so there is a little bit of luck involved in it and then it's just trying to <laughs> make sure that or well for me i just took the time a little bit towards the end so i wasn't pushing to make a certain time so that i didn't have to rush and take those sort of risks um because ultimately i didn't tie anything to the outcome it was just i was going out there with a bit of curiosity just to finish it so it wasn't about anything other than just seeing if i can get to the end so i had that luxury of not trying to finish within a specific time or try and beat anyone or do anything like that so it was never outcome based it was just fascination
0: do you think like that's a. I love the way you just lead me into really easy questions <laughs> do you think that the sort of what people pin onto things and the expectation that people create around things, a really impact the experience they have, and b potentially impact the outcome in in a negative way because we're we're creating a lot of expectation. Whereas you just said something. Really, quite cool, mate. You just went out that, like, I don't know if we phrase this in the right way. I went out into minus 60 just to see what would happen for 30 days. It's like, fuck, mate, really? Yeah. But you know what I mean, mate? Like, we've got a lot of expectations, and people are, are entering. And this is one thing that I see a lot with, with like ultra races, because again, the mindset is I'm going to do an ultra race. you know a thousand miles across it's a different beast but like you said this weekend you're doing a 50k like most people would say oh how long is that going to take you is our immediate reaction to that yeah because the human brain works well if we program it and say okay 50k might take me 10 hours but you've gone out into the wild into up to minus 60 with zero expectations how do you put all that together mate
1: Yeah, I kind of had a rough idea how long it would take, but that was more for planning food and drop bags and food mail-outs so that I didn't end up three days short of food. Um, You don't want to create your own problems. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have to solve (laughs) problems out there. You don't want stupidity to help you out with any of them. So I kind of did, and I I knew it would slow down, and my prediction of how long it would take would probably be a little bit quicker than what I'd actually get there. But I think I predicted around 25 days, and it took me – 26, 27 days. So I was close enough. Um, So I didn't run short of food. And the beauty of the food is that races that don't take their food, they leave it behind. And races that pull off, their food's open grabs when you get there. So there's always plenty of food. turns out that their food was better than mine, so I stole as much food as I could. Um, (laughs) So that's just how it works. What you don't take goes to the village. Um, So I sort of had a little bit of a plan around that. Like for the 50K I'm doing this weekend, um, I was sort of working out how long it might take me, but that's more just around other logistical things. It's not for actual time on the event. And some of it's down to I just don't want to be out there suffering for nine or 10 hours if I don't need to. Um would rather not do that. I'm only doing it because somebody else was doing it and they asked me if I was interested in doing it with them. Um but <laughs> otherwise I would be out watching kids sport. Um yeah. sort of thing. But yeah, like I think it's really easy to kind of want to do PBs or want to do these sort of things. So I did one in 2013 which was in the Yukon. That, so that was 430 miles. And at that stage, there was only, I think, six or seven people that had finished that. And I can't remember, there might have been someone from New Zealand or no one from the Southern Hemisphere at that time. So at that point in my life, I was much more focused on identity because I was younger. You know, ego had more, was more at play in what I was doing. So being one of the people that was able to finish it was important, and then being the first Australian to finish it was important to me, sort of thing. So I went out. But if I was doing that, then another Australian turns up on that race. It's no longer about finishing the race. It's about beating that person. So the whole way I think changes, you know what I mean? Because now if they're a half a day behind you, you're going to push through the night to try and get a little bit of a, a buffer. So you don't enjoy the experience anymore. You're just out there competing against this fucking ego identity thing that you have, which really means nothing. You know what I mean? So Like if I get there and, you know, yeah, I'm the first Australian maybe, then someone that does it that's younger, then, you know, I mean, that starts to threaten this whole identity I've built about that outcome. And I think it's really easy for people to get into that when I think it comes back down to a lot about how they sort of see security, value in themselves and this sort of things and any inadequacies sort of thing. Like if you want to go real deep into it, there's heaps in that space. So I've I've moved away from that. When I was in special operations, there was a lot of that at play sort of thing, but I've kind of worked that out as I've gone past that or as I've had kids and tried to work out how i create kids that are better people than what I was. And so now everything I do is about fascination sort of thing. So, like, if you want to talk about what I'm going to do, I'm now planning to do a South Pole solo expedition or sort of thinking about the feasibility of it. And that is purely just to explore what the South Pole looks like and just to see whether I've got it in me to cover that distance in that environment.
0: You know, so that's, uh, you know, there's images on Google that it'll let you see what South Pole
1: looks like, <laughs> mate. Yeah, I know. But there's, uh, I worked out I'm really good at suffering. That's what I worked out when I was in Alaska. And I thought that's not a great trait. You know, what I mean? like that ends that ends in disaster at some point. Um, yeah. but I don't know. Like I'm curious, I'm fascinated. I don't know what it is. It's just something about there. Just how know, that's how a do you... big task, and I don't know whether I'll ever get to that one.
0: Mate, we're going to have podcasts for years. It's going to be beautiful. But how do you, how someone's listening, mate, and what you just said resonates with them. For you, it's about the experience. It's, it's the fascination. It's the exploration. It's the being, let's call it being present in the moment, in these in these events. We'll come later to the suffering because not everyone agrees with that. But how do you, when when we're programmed to be programmed how do we unprogram that and and just create this you know being present because people can't sit at the moment people just cannot sit still mate like you know you you go you go to a a cafe for a coffee with someone with a group of friends and within 30 seconds like everyone's just got their phone so how do we create this just being just being totally or how do you create being totally present and just being there and being comfortable with being in that moment?
1: Well, I think I would say I probably was a lot – I grew up in a different time period, so there's obviously a lot involved in that. Like, I didn't have companies deliberately trying to use distraction to target my boredom. So, like, when I was younger, I grew up sort of semi-rural, I had an older brother that was much older than me, so he didn't really want to play with me, and I had a younger sister. So I used to spend a lot of time <laughs> kind of just playing with Lego on my own, doing these sort of things. Like, closest mate was 10, 12 k's away, so I wasn't cycling to his house. Sort of yeah. So I kind of just learned when I was younger. We didn't have video games or anything like that. I could be out kicking the soccer ball around by myself, these sort of things. So um, yeah. it was just something that was part of life. And then as I was getting older, there's no social media. Like, mobile. I didn't have a mobile phone until I was in my early 20s. And they certainly had no internet connection. I don't think I had an iPhone until I was in my early 30s, mid-30s, sort of thing. And I was in an occupation that really didn't condone that anyway. Like you were encouraged to keep a really low identity. So you weren't really on these platforms. So I guess it was never something that I grew up with, where now people are growing up with it as part of their life, sort of thing. And then the you know, the companies out there. There's a lot of speculation, and I think it's more than speculation. There's some books out and that sort of thing on that. That deliberately targeting that sort of boredom and the discomfort people feel in boredom with the apps on your phone and these sort of things that use distraction to get you away from that discomfort. And it seems, mm-hmm. from what I've seen, or well, my thoughts on it, is that building these sort of downhill habits where looked at something in discomfort seems to be or developed a lot faster than building deliberate positive habits that actually go towards something sort of thing like when you know if you talk about exercise people go i want a habit where i get up and exercise and you kind of go well you don't really you want the outcomes of the exercise you just don't want to have to go through the daily deliberate practice of doing the exercise so that's not really a habit Like you've got to do that deliberate behavior but A habit is more, for me, formed through, like, if I feel uncomfortable, I have a beer, and then tomorrow it's another beer. And then that feels good, and now it's a beer every night sort of thing, or, you know, poor nutrition or using social media, these sort of things. So I don't know. Like, I grew up without it, and so it wasn't such an issue. But it's something I'm definitely aware of because I've got young kids now, and at some point they're going to get targeted by all of these things. Like for them, if I don't provide them with a better option, then TV, video games, screens, these sort of things is something that they'll gravitate to. But as soon as there's a better option, they're not interested. They want to go to something else. So I don't know. Like I think we're at the point where you have to be pretty deliberate about not picking up your phone or, you know what I mean, just taking a bit of time to sit there with yourself. And if, you know, you can get better at that or just go out into the wilderness, these sort of things, then, you know what I mean, like you just created that space for it. Do you,
0: with your kids, for example, if you don't mind me asking, mate, like, do you have strict rules and almost like what I'd call like conscious strategies in place? So you'll be like, right, this weekend, I want to make sure I'm taking them out for X amount of time because you've identified that it's a problem. You've identified where you've come from and the positive skill set that that's taught you. So you're trying to implement a strategy with, in the way that you bring up your children.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and like most people, like, it's really hard to be consistent with that. Um, <laughs> so, like, I was going to laugh and say they're upstairs now watching screens while I'm on the podcast because <laughs> yeah. it's an easy way of babysitting a child. Um, they're not. They're with mum. But, like, yeah, like, you can say, oh, I, I constantly say to myself, I should be a better dad. You know, I should right. get them out more. I should take them out after school, these sort of things. But it's really easy to get focused on trivial shit that I think I need to get done. And then yeah. so they don't annoy me. It's like, oh, you know, you can go watch TV for half an hour um you know and then i'm constantly pulling myself up as like all right i'm I'm using tv as an easy way so they don't distract me okay so i need to stop that and then just go upstairs and get them and go out to the park for a kick or something because i mean like the more time i spend with them the better our connection is with them sort of thing so the better they're going to develop through that um sort of thing because when they're watching tv they're not getting any actual connection or social connections these sort of things so i don't know like it's it's a struggle and i'll admit i'm probably as shithouse as everybody else with it of trying to find the time to do the things that they need to do for their development as opposed to just trying to make sure they're not distracting me from something that is probably trivial and I don't need to be doing anyway so I don't know like it's tough
0: yeah I think it's not easy mate as well because if you I mean and you look at what's happened over the last couple of years where very fast we're, we're more online like if a kid doesn't have an ipad or you know or or the latest mac they're actually in in some countries in some schools they're not they're unable to be part of that school there's a school in in dubai where you know they specify the type of macbook you you need to have it's like a three thousand dollar macbook and i'm like wow you know and there's so much benefit from it mate of course and we know that the way the world's going but the byproduct of these certain policies is so many skills. And I think for for a big part, a lot of really essential skills like, like resilience and like the ability to be is actually being lost in the next generation, which is quite sad. You know, it's, you know, do we become a generation where we don't go and enjoy the wilderness, maybe not for a thousand miles for 26 and a half days, but you know, like it's, It's an interesting, I think we're at a really interesting time of our sort of, call it evolution, aren't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's schools here that are like that. Like, they promote iPads. Like, the school our kids go to, they've got a number of them that the kids use, but there's other ones where they have to have their own or their MacBook. Um, But it's one of those things where, like, we're on the fringe of suburbs that uh, people are comfortable, and then, you know, two Ks away. There's housing commission, or there's you know, there's right. single moms trying to su- support young kids, and they're not buying iPads for their kids. You know, what I mean, like they're yeah. busy trying to put food on the table. So, yeah. you know, I mean, even when you talk about resilience, a lot of it is resources that are available to them. So, you know, what I mean, like you can improve the resilience of those houses by giving them more resources. Where if you make it that oh, they can't come to the school, they're going to fall behind because they don't have iPads. Like you're degrading their resilience just yeah. through the fact that you have put up. Unnecessary barriers to their development. And that's where I think you get a lot of these underdeveloped kids that disengage from society. And then you have a whole suite of issues based on that sort of thing. So, but as you've said, like our kids are doing coding at school, they're doing a number of different things. They're learning technology that's going to be really useful in five to 10 years because who knows what skills people are going to need in 10 years. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's like it's it's there and it has to be balanced, I think. but yeah. and I came across something the other day when you sort of talk about the nature is they're using virtual reality to put people into the wilderness so that they can improve their mental health. And I'm like, why the fuck don't you just go out into the bush? You know, <laughs> yeah. they're like it's Australia. There's heaps of it. yeah. Um, you know, you can spend all day out there. You can have lunch. Like it's <laughs> it's not hard. But they're sitting in their room with VR goggles on, looking at nature. <laughs> so like, what do you? What, uh, what? <laughs>
0: Why are we doing that, mate? Like, come on, let's let's jump into that. Like, why
1: are we doing I don't that? know, I didn't read enough into it. I seen it and I, I couldn't if I had read that article, I would have got aggravated at the stupidity of it. But unless it's unless it's in an environment where that may be what they need, sort of thing. So I don't uh, know, but I couldn't see it well, it couldn't be that hard to get a coaster or something and take people out into the bush for a day. Like in Australia, there's plenty of national parks, there's reserves, there's all these areas that are actually set up for Good kids to go out and explore the environment in like a really safe area. So I don't It's know.
0: difficult, isn't it, though, mate? Because, I mean, thinking fast on that, it's like you and I know the power of nature. We know the power of hopping out into the bush. It's great. But these kids have had such a disconnect from it that perhaps that's a way of bridging them into it. But they're still sat on the couch. It's quite a weird one, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I,
1: know. I kind of do get it a little bit because... Yeah, like if – because you spend so much time, or I spend so much time in the bush, and I kind of grew up in it. Yeah. I don't have the same sort of – so it's, it's difficult for me to really understand what somebody who's never left the city thinks about the bush. Correct. Right. Because of yeah. I'm comfortable going out, and if I see like a carpet snake or something like that, it's, it's no big deal. I'll just step over it sort of thing. If I see yeah. s- specific colours on a snake, then I know that I'll just let that do its thing, and then i will go do my thing. <laughs> Where yeah. If you're in the city, like – People could be absolutely terrified of the fact that as soon as they step foot in the bush, there'll be spiders, there'll be snakes, there's yeah. and in Australia, there probably is. Like if you yes. can, if you look in the bush, there's a snake where you can see as far as you can see. It's in, there's one in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so maybe that, like I'm saying, that is the way that you progress them into the bush, sort of thing. Yeah. Because there are there's a whole because I kind of think in terms of general community or probably above average levels of general community, sort of thing, where you do have all these people that are kind of. Um, like clinical populations those sort of things so maybe in within that it's a perfectly ideal way to administer that dose and then they can build them up sort of thing so yeah, yeah. like I looked at it and you kind of you can see okay maybe it's pointless for most people but then yeah clinical populations maybe there's something in it Hey,
0: let's hop back to Alaska minus 60
1: well, I didn't pretty- get to minus 60 <laughs> but it can. <laughs> so I was my, lucky.
0: My, yeah sounds like it my question <laughs> is mate is there is in this in, in, in the event that you did there is this constant discomfort of cold which Wim Hof like he says he likes being cold but I can guarantee you he likes sitting by a fire when it's cold outside <laughs> and having like a hot chocolate or a glass of wine that's for sure mate like that's so yeah. how do you wake up every day or keep going every day? The challenge you did was, was physical. You had to cover a 1,000 miles when you're constantly cold.
1: Yeah, you're probably not always cold. Like the heating, when you're moving, overheating can be a problem. Like you don't want to sweat sort of thing. So yeah. there is a balance between trying to keep yourself cool and not right. overheating. So like a couple of times if you, I sweated. And then you get ice forming inside your clothes, and then it becomes a problem if you don't address it, um, especially in your socks and those sort of things. So you try and keep as warm as you can. <clears throat> I was trying to hit inside sleeps as often as I can just because they're obviously more comfortable than sleeping outside. And although I've done it in the past, I was comfortable with it. This time, I just it took me much longer to get comfortable with sleeping on the side of the trail um, sort of thing. But the risk when you go inside a checkpoint, Or building, so I got construction next door, so there's going to be a bit of background noise. Um, It's alright. So, like, if you go into a hut and you have a feed, you think, "I'll go in there, do what I need to do, and I'll be out in an hour." Then two and a half hours later, you're sitting by the fire, and you're like, "I'm telling yourself your gear's not quite dry." It's like your gear's dry. You just don't. You're procrastinating because you don't want to go back out in the cold. Yeah. And and then it starts to get dark, and it's getting colder, and you're like, "I just got to go, otherwise I'm going to be stuck here all night." Sort of thing. So There was a few times where I'd hit checkpoints early or a cabin, have a feed, and then I'd just go four hours down the trail and sleep on the trail sort of thing. So like there is this constant battle about not letting yourself get too comfortable, but then using the cabins and schools and everything else you hit to make sure that you recovered properly. Because if you start ripping it? sleep off yourself, decision-making goes down and then you take risks and these sort of things and you find yourself in trouble. So yeah. there is that sort of constant thing. There's always a low level pressure in your mind to keep moving because even though you, I was moving pretty well, 30 days is not a long time to cover a thousand miles. So if you kind of, if you don't move fast enough, then you put, you're going to have to move really hard at the end. So, you know, you can't stop moving for any sort of certain period. Like you can't have a rest day. Every day you've got to be moving. Like you're always wow. going to be moving forward. Um, yeah. And then I guess ultimately, you know, it's going to end at some point. So it's like, all right, as long as I can suffer through the cold and the, the discomfort for however long it takes and I'll get to the end. And then, I don't know, like I always feel that on events like this, it's kind of the first three or four days, I'm just finding the bottom level of where I can sit discomfort-wise. I'm sort of just on the degrade until I hit that point where I can just perform at that level. And then I sort of go along for probably another 60% of the race. And then you sort of, you're in your deepest hole. And then, as you get close, you start to come out of it, sort of thing. So, it's kind of that that 60 to 80% of the race um, distance, or probably out about, you know, from 60 to 80% of the race distance is when you're in that deepest hole because you're not close enough to get excited, but you know you're almost there and your you're actual bottom limit mentally. So, I'm making almost- sure that I get through that grind.
0: I can almost see this in a graph, mate. Like you're right down, <laughs> and then like, isn't it? It's like it's like one of those visuals that you see in social media these days. To sort of, I might make it myself actually. I'm like, yeah, yeah do the, it. The bottom level of discomforts down here, and then you sort of come up, and then you think you're close to the end, and then it drops yeah. back down
1: again. <laughs> yeah, well, you kind of get to a point where you're comfortable with your level of discomfort. Yeah, then, but it's yeah. slowly degrading, and then like you get to a point where you're just in pain, but then All of a sudden, you can, you know, you're going to get there and then you start improving. And it's just mental, like nothing changes except your your attitude towards it and what you're willing to accept, really.
0: That's the, I mean, that's, that really is the interesting thing, mate, because when you get closer to the end, you're probably, your level of suffering is perhaps higher than it's ever been because you've been exposed in this, in this scenario to, to cold exhaustion for 20, Six days, but your motivation to keep going is probably as high as it's ever been. So they've they've now come. You're suffering ultimately, and and but you might like. It's really counterintuitive, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and then for me, just that final bit is always the worst for sure. So like on this, um, so I was actually traveling really well. So I went down the Yukon River, got to about the 700 mile mark, and I was traveling really well. And the the checkpoints and villages were kind of between 40 and 50 mile apart so they were big stretches so I was pushing pretty hard to make them day to day because you just don't sleep on the Yukon River I spent one night on there I think it was somewhere well below minus 40 a bit of wind and it was just freezing like just an absolute struggle the next day because you're coming from a cold start everything's yeah. frozen it's just it's a, it's a difficult time and just a miserable day um but then from the sort of 700 mile mark onwards as so I was going pretty well still making good time and then kind of, I think it was, a la- I was maybe trying to think, probably just under 100 miles out on the second last day, and it was brilliant. Mm. I had an absolutely great day. Like I was still down on energy, still down on sleep, or that sort of thing, but I knew I was really close. And that was just a really, really good afternoon, good weather. just really enjoyed that day. And the next day was the final leg. And then I get to about 20 miles out and it's the markers are every mile because you're close to nowhere on the road. It's like 90 miles, eighteen miles, 70 miles. Oh, <laughs> and kill me. It was punishing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, I'm so close. And then you can see it like 10 miles away. And for oh. about four hours, it still feels like it's 10 miles away. So it's like there's almost that point you get that close, you know you're going to finish. You're like, all right, let's just end this right now. But it seems yeah. to really drag. But again, because I think it's changing what you're focusing on. Yeah. Like the day before, I covered a much bigger distance and I was much happier. And now, because I was that close, it's just I just wanted it to end. But it's <laughs> even like coming into the checkpoints, the last five miles is the worst because, you know, it's yeah. just there. And
0: yeah. It feels like
1: three hours to cover that five miles. Yeah,
0: to cover the – I was in a race in South Africa in April and it was it was only – it was 100 k's. But when I was coming towards the end, it night had fallen. And there's this weird, it was at altitude, it was about just under 2,000 meters. And there was this weird sort of fog in the air. So you can't see anything. And it was literally pitch black. And as you know, mate, if you put your head torch on brighter, it actually becomes harder to see. And I got one stage about four or five K out and I could hear all this music from the finish line. And I looked down at my watch and I'm like, man, that's too early. And then they took us all the way around the back of this mountain and I'm like, the sound's gone and it's getting even darker and like people were just losing their shit. They're like, the finish was back there. Like it's, you know, when you're all a bit, so yeah, it's, yep. um, yeah, it was nuts, mate. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then like every time I'd go around a corner, I'd look for some light pollution on the sort of on the horizon, but there was too much fog and it's just like, it was this weird state for about an hour I've just, yeah. I, I just thought, I just thought we we're doing like loops of this, of this mountain. I was like, we're just, these guys are just taking the piss out of me now. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <absurd>. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Hey, I want to um, structure wise, you, you mentioned just earlier that you, you know, you, that there were checkpoints, there were huts, what sort of strategy, like you're obviously not moving. You need, like you said, you need sleep. How do you, how did you approach things and how did things turn out when it came to sort of eating, resting? Was there a, a target number of miles you wanted to move each day? How did you put all that together?
1: Yeah, so early on I had a, a target of miles. I almost had it set out for the first seven to eight days of when I thought I was going to reach the checkpoint. So almost oh. to the point where, okay, I know I need breakfast, lunch today, I'm going to hit the checkpoint that night and then that sort that stuff out foolishly, I knew it was never going to go like that, but I persisted with it anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> Because you just – you don't know what the environment's going to throw at right? you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that actually – it changed one of the checkpoints, I think. It was there last year. It was there this year, but it wasn't the first year I did it. So it made the first leg from Anchorage through to one of the roadhouses on the, the river or the first river that you go along a little bit further. And there was right. a lot of – it was a little bit warmer this year, so there was a lot of overflow and some of the – lakes and little streams and rivers that you cross uh, weren't quite frozen so from the start point to the first checkpoint i didn't actually know how i was going to get there when i took off sort of thing so i I really had no no plan of how i was going to get there but i didn't want to waste any time i didn't want to walk around trying to find the first checkpoint for two days right so i just kind of followed some other races and then some of the guys in the front kind of picked a good pass we followed that and ended up getting there. But that threw throughout all my time and space because it took me longer than I anticipated. So then I'm trying to still hit my schedule for the first three or four days. And I still knew in the back of my mind that chasing that distance or chasing a schedule was a really bad idea because if I got to midnight and I wanted to hit an inside sleep that was still five miles away, pushing for another three or four hours was a bad idea. Like I just had to take the hit, sleep yeah. on the side of the trail and then get up and go have breakfast there. So after a few days, I kind of, relinquish control to the environment and kind of just reconcile the fact that I had no control of what happened. So I'd get up in the morning. If it snowed, I'd just walk as far as I could, get as much done as I could that day, and then go to sleep at around about midnight. So I was kind of sticking to a schedule where I could have sort of sleeping from midnight through to about four or five o'clock in the morning and then getting right. up and going. Right. So I always had breakfast usually when the sun came up around sort of nine, 10 o'clock, then I'd have some meals throughout the day and then dinner just before the sun went down. And then some snacks during the night sort of thing. So I got really good at setting my routine when things were easy so yeah. that when things got difficult, I'd already had a really good routine going because you don't try and introduce cooking and all that sort of stuff when things are really shit. So I made sure that I was pretty disciplined in the way I had my sort of cooking routine so that that would work for me down the trail. And then once I just sort of let go of that control or trying to meet outcomes, I just sort of took it as it came. So bad days... I didn't get upset because I wasn't making very good distance. And then good days I kind of just made the most of it. So sort of just taking it as it came, really.
0: What you said, mate, some days you slept on the trail, some days you slept in in sort of huts, schools, checkpoints along the way. What was there ever a time where you sort of you planned to Reach a, a a hut or a checkpoint where you knew it'd be perhaps a little bit warmer, a little bit, and and you felt you need that, but you ended up having to sleep on the trail.
1: Yeah, plenty of times. Um, so I was really bad at trying to gauge how far I could get. So uh, <laughs> You're supposed to be good at
0: this stuff, mate.
1: Right? <laughs> you just don't know out there. Like just yeah. you have no idea what's going to be there tomorrow. Sort of thing. Yeah. Like if it comes in, there's a foot of snow the next day. Snowshoes are on, and you you travels halved or your travel speed's halved. Wow. So, you know, or if it gets a little bit warm and the trail gets a little bit sticky at the top, like all of a sudden, sled's not sliding. You're dragging it, so that slows you down a little bit. So, like you just never know what what the day is going to bring. So, like you sleep during the coldest part, but that's the best time to move because everything's frozen really well. The trail is its hardest and that sort of thing. So, um, but there was a few times where I sort of did get caught out um, trying to push a little bit too fast, and I hit one checkpoint which I was going to sleep at way too early to sleep. And I kind of sat there for a little bit, deciding whether I should have an early sleep and then walk. But then if I walked 20 hours the next day, then that would put me in the locker for the following day. So I just left that, went and slept on the side of the trail. And ultimately it's not that bad. Like sleeping on the side of the trail is not that uncomfortable. Uh, there was another time where I thought I'd hit, um, I was trying to think which one it was. I thought I'd hit a cabin around about midnight, and then when I got to midnight, it was still probably another three or four hours beyond where I was. Actually, we we're on the, wow. river, on the Yukon River and we we're trying to hit a village. And we got to about midnight and there's a little bit of wind and it's so exposed on the river. And it's probably 10 degrees colder than it is when you come out of the river under the villages. And I was with another racer and he was pretty tired. It was like, okay, yeah, I'll probably find a place where we're a little bit more sheltered and just sleep there because the wind wasn't too bad. But we didn't know if the wind was going to pick up because it was going to quickly turn into a really shitty situation as the sort of the night progresses. And I was trying to decide whether I'd walk for another five or six hours to try and hit this village. But then that would really cut into the next day. So we decided to end up sleep on the river. Horrible night, but probably ended up better than what if we hadn't have done. Uh, and then there was another time when we sort of we planned to hit a hut, which when we got there, well, the hut wasn't there. So it was located on the map. We'd been told that there was one there, but there wasn't one there. And it was really exposed. Like, it was really windy. It was really cold. And there was no chance that we were going to sleep there. So then we had to walk another – I think we walked about three in the morning till we hit a school. Thankfully, the school counsellor had been tracking us on the track leaders' website. And he was there, opened up the doors, brought us some food and actually made us quite comfortable. Uh, and there was wow. another time where we sort of – we've been told people had been stopping for about eight hours at a certain point because we had uh, um, uh, the – the Garmin GPS where we could sort of send text messages back and forth. So we right. sort of got a message saying like, one of the checkpoints that people have been stopping at a certain point. So we thought there must be something there. And then we sort of, I was pushing along, pushing along, gets about midnight and I just felt absolutely shit house. And then it gets to 12.30, and then it gets to one. And I was like, all right, if it's not around the next corner, I'm going to sleep. Like I get around the next corner, it's not there. And I thought, I bet you it's around the next corner. So I went to sleep, I woke up, I walked around the next corner and here's this mining cabin just sitting no. right there. Oh, no.
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> like I just walked past
1: it. I was like, no, fuck it. Um, but all it offered was shelter from the wind, and it wasn't that windy because it didn't have any doors. There was no heater in there or anything like that. So, yeah. like, it's yeah, like I, as much as I would try and tell myself, don't chase ground to try and get a, a warm sleep, sometimes you just like, I just want to be warm. And then yeah. you sort of got to weigh up, you know, what's it going to cost me to try and hit this target? Yeah. And you just say, I was going, but then you get so tired, like, I'm just going to go to sleep right now. You anyway, I don't care anymore. But then you've got to be deliberate enough to go through your full routine so that you don't cut any corners because come morning, if you've cut corners and now stuff you need's frozen or you haven't done things properly, then now you've created more problems that you, you need to solve. So what
0: what are those problems, mate? So if you, for example, if you if you were forced or you did decide to sleep on the side of the trail or like you said, there on the side of the river, if you don't Go through like you can't just stop and and sort of sleep. It's not we're not in the, in the middle of the desert. Like, what do you? What's the sort of procedure? What's the rigmarole that you have to go through to prepare to sleep so that you wake up and you're not in deep shit? Basically,
1: yeah. So I tend to try and find something where I've got a little bit of protection, and so I look for somewhere where it's a little bit wooded. Um, and some of the areas were just like really open tundra where there was. And it was really windy on a couple of days, so it was just depressions in the ground. we come into a depression, the wind felt a lot lower, so you'd sort of sleep there. Um, right. So you kind of take a bit of time, flatten out the snow, big enough so that you can sort of lay out your uh, sleeping mat, your sleeping bag, pull your pole cup next to it, take out any food that you think you're going to need the next morning because that's all got to come in the sleeping bag so that it thaws out. Um, so any water you bring in with you. Sometimes I would boil some water at night, Put that in an Nalgene bottle so that keeps you warm inside your sleeping bag. Plus, that gives you hot water in the morning. We can just heat that up a little bit if you need to. So depending on the temperature and how I felt, whether I needed that or not, Um, I'd take all the ice off my shoes, all the snow off my shoes, and then put that in a um, watertight bag so that would come in so I wasn't getting the inside of my sleeping bag wet. Make sure nothing had any snow on it because that's obviously going to melt and make the inside of your sleeping bag wet. So I was just going through this process where you're taking your layers off any layer that you think you're going to need when you wake up. So I had like, um, I think I had like a vest, had a synthetic layer, then it's sort of kind of like a soft shell layer and then a really big jacket. So I'd have the big jacket there ready to go. So once I put the other layers on, I could just put that on, make sure that I had the gloves that I needed so that I could find them in the morning. Everything comes inside the sleeping bag that you want. So all your layers come off, go in there with you. I'd use some of them as pillows make sure they're where they need to be, just organise everything so I can get a decent sleep, and then kind of just have a bit of a think about what I needed to do in the morning, make sure I knew where everything was and I hadn't missed anything. Where if you're just kind of walking along, stamp out a small bit on the side of the trail, roll your sleeping bag out and climb in, then like, there's a chance that you're not going to have any food, your water's not going to, or your water's going to be frozen, this sort of thing, and then you've got to get warm, you've got to start a fire so you can melt snow for water. you just got all these problems that, you just don't need sort of thing. If you picked a a really shit spot where you slept in the open, the wind picks up. Now it could be minus 40, minus 50 plus wind chill. You know, it's just, just things you don't need. Yeah, right. Just for the sake of taking five minutes of extra work. So I'd sort of do a little bit of work on my feet, make sure I was looking after them because ultimately that's, what's going to get me to the end, making sure that, you know, my socks were good. I didn't have any hot spots on my feet, making sure that was sort of cleaned up, all that sort of thing. So it's just kind of looking after yourself, you know, You've got a wet one that's not frozen, then you kind of give yourself a little bit of a bath. That type of stuff. So,
0: what happens, mate, if in the middle of your sleep you need a piss?
1: <laughs> you go before you go to sleep.
0: <laughs> Everyone asks that some... question.
1: It's like I'm yeah. not getting out to go for a piss. No way, huh? No. So <laughs> I'd wake up, and I think it might have been about day five or six. So I was still in an area that I'd been to before, and I still had 800, 7, 750, 800 miles to go. So I wake up, I've slept along, in the middle of this really long leg. So it was a 70-mile leg I'd slept, and the sleeping position was good. And I wake up, and as soon as I woke up, my first instinct was, this is way too far. I'm not going to get there. Like, this is just going to punish me way too much. Yeah. And I was kind of, I was still waking up. And then the next day I had exactly the same thought. And I was like, oh, I've got to end these thoughts. Um, but I'd, you just lay there for a minute and you warm and you're looking out and you know it's cold out there. You can see your breath turning into ice sort of thing. Because yeah. um, during the night you sort of close your sleeping bag down so you just got a small breathing hole to let some fresh air and then you wake up and you open a little bit. Yeah. And I just sit there for five minutes thinking, I wonder how long I could just sit here or lay here in the warmth. And it's like, you know what? I've got to move. I can't stay here. Like no one's going to come and help me. Like nothing changes until I get out of this, get dressed and start moving. So then it's like trying to sit, or well you sit there for a little bit, have some food, you know, a little bit of water, find all your stuff. try not to procrastinate too long because you can drag that out. <laughs> <laughs> you can make that last a really long time. Um, and it's like, all right, I just got to unzip this thing and get this over with. And then you sort of explode out of your sleeping bag at minus 20, minus 30, you know, everything that you haven't been able to get dressed or put on in the sleeping bag quickly goes on stuff your sleeping bag put it in this pulk, and then off you go as fast as i can i start moving and then if i need to sort of move some stuff around later i'll do it about an hour later once i've warmed up once so you just need that you need that movement to get warm and then you can sort of make things a little bit tidier
0: so mate you're averaging you said there sort of like four hours sleep within a 24-hour period is that right
1: yeah so i started off about four and then it kind of after about five, six days, it goes to sort of five hours, six hours. And then towards the end, right. it was around about seven hours or six to seven okay. hours. Okay. Uh, like if I hit a school, then I'd have a decent feed, dry my stuff out or, or a village sort of thing. So a lot of the schools and villages towards the end, they just let you stay inside like the library or you stay in one of the areas in the village um some people a lot of them actually had a house that was the checkpoint so you go to the house and it's just open home by really really nice people um for people that have nothing like they're so open and generous it was amazing yeah um yeah. sort of thing so they spend a little bit of time getting some extra food sort of procrastinate a little bit and then get going but early on it was sort of you know moving for probably 18 hours 17, 18 hours once you take out sleep and some stops. So you might go to a checkpoint for two hours. So you're sort of moving for maybe 16, 17 hours during the day. Towards the end, I found at around about 40, 45 miles or 14, 15 hours that I started developing a lot of pain sort of thing. So all the old injuries started getting really aggravated at those distances. So knees, back, all that sort of thing. It's just an added discomfort that i really wasn't interested in Um, (laughs) i think at around about one point say 650 miles i had 35 miles to go my knee had pretty much locked up right at the end of the day and there was a shelter cabin i'd got to so i was trying to use my uh flask as a roller trying to roll out around my knee that sort of thing but everything had just locked up around there and then the next day i couldn't walk properly on it I was trying to do my best to walk properly because I thought if I start a half limp, then that's just going to – there's going to be more problems developing out of that. Yeah, right. So yeah. I was just trying to hovel my way to this checkpoint where I could actually do some decent stretching and some decent work on it. So I still covered pretty good distance and time. Uh, and there was a pizza shop where we stayed, so massive pizza. Uh, oh, wow. The, the towns were dry, so there wasn't any beer, but it was a couple of soft drinks. So I um, had a half-decent sleep in this uh, kind of a little unit that they let us – day and then sort of tended to my knee and then the next day i was fine i didn't have any other issues but that was kind of just probably neglecting the recovery a little bit but yeah, you know if you're in yeah. a sleeping bag on the side of the trail like you're not <laughs> laying there rolling out for 30 minutes of stretching <laughs> you're just getting the sleeping bag going to sleep so you so didn't it,
0: uh, you didn't do any morning morning yoga when you've got a <laughs> sleeping bag mate no uh, <laughs> salutes to the sun and
1: all that kind of stuff no, no. my mindfulness and stuff just out some caffeine pills and get running or get walking as fast as i could
0: (laughs) hey on a uh on on perhaps a more serious note on that did, did you spend time during the day or like would you i mean i guess you're reflecting a lot as you're moving but did you have any formal time during the day where you sort of just take stock of where you are like I don't know. Did you make notes? Did you think about stuff? Did you try and create some conscious awareness around like how things went? Or is that something that is from your experiences and, and, and from your background is probably a little bit more built in? You just do it naturally anyway.
1: Yeah, I kind of I spent a lot of time appreciating the environment I was in. Uh um, right. so one of the things I like, one of the it's not just there, like even if I go to when I travel, I'll go for an early morning run. And then it's yeah. half of it is just to explore the environment. I mean, like whether it's a city, whether there's trail runs nearby, whatever it is sort of thing. So when I was out there, I was kind of appreciating the environment and it's a pretty remarkable country out there. Um, yeah, even, even at night, like I was sort of treated to the Northern Lights on a number of occasions. So uh, there's one point there, it was like two in the morning, I was on top of a crest or a sort of a little bit of a mountain, and it was pretty clear around me. It's just a really clear sky and there's just this really good northern light show for about, I don't know, I think I sent bent, probably 30, 40 minutes just standing there looking up until I realised I was getting a bit cold and then start moving. <laughs> um, but like I took this time I took a lot more photos than I did last time and just kind of probably was more aware of, you know, the landscape and just how sort of magnificent the country was out there sort of thing so you know you think about lots of different things but I really regularly find myself coming back to you know see something unique and just kind of looking at that and appreciating it and thankfully while I was there it was probably 70% really clear skies and sun like it was just a really wow. the weather was really really good last time I was there it snowed the whole time I was overcast so it was more of a miserable experience of just suffering um, yeah. where this time it was sort of I got pretty lucky with the weather, and just the experience itself was just uh, a really amazing experience.
0: Mate, you've used the word suffering quite a lot from <laughs> when we started, and yes, these kind of experiences there is a, a, a lot of suffering. How do you put suffering together? How much should we suffer? How do you? How does one suffer more than the other? Give us, give us your loadout yeah. on, on suffering, mate, because it's something we hear a these days. Yeah,
1: I know. I don't think there's much value in it at all. Sort of like one thing that I've kind of, because I used to be in the camp where you know if you're not sacrificing, you're not getting anywhere.
0: So yeah. I
1: but um, I listened to a really good podcast a while ago, Johnny Wilkerson on the High yeah. Performance Podcast. You can probably edit that out because it's not yours. I don't know. You know no, no, mate, podcast. it's good. I, <laughs> I actually
0: shared it. I actually shared it with quite a few people, mate. He's um, and his hey, mate. We should plug his podcast. His new podcast, I Am, is really, really good.
1: Yeah. Okay. So a lot of what he said really resonated with me because that was my whole special operations experience was just sacrifice, suffering, just doing whatever you could to try and be the best operator, and it just leads to just the development of probably what isn't a great human being, right? Um, So like where he said suffering just leads to more suffering or sacrifice just leads more sacrifice, sort of thing. I was like, okay, that's a really good point. And then when I was out on the trail, I was probably, I don't know, two-thirds, halfway into it, I was just in a lot of discomfort and I thought the only thing I've really developed over all these years of being out in these environments is that I'm really good at suffering. And I was like, and I don't think that's a great trait. <laughs> you know I mean, like, because you can get a beat dog that can suffer. Like, it doesn't, yeah. it's not a valuable trait. But then yeah. on the other side of the coin, like, I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't developed the capacity to endure through that hardship. So I guess in a way it almost comes down to, how you kind of tell yourself the story around that suffering or how you frame it sort of thing, whether, you know, you're enduring through a discomfort because there's something really valuable, or whether you're just suffering through something that has nothing on the other side of it. So yeah. I don't know. Like I think um, it's an interesting sort of ex- exploration of what suffering is because everyone's going to go through it at some point. You know what I mean?
0: Like, uh, uh, is it? is it suffering though mate because in 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 this context cuz you wanted to be there you i imagine that most of the time you were smiling in some sick way you know you so majority. is it <laughs> majority yeah because that's the type of that's why you're able to <laughs> yeah, do yeah. this stuff yeah no, and i think you're time. right
1: yeah i think this is kind of uh Almost like I've gone in with, so I'm just searching for words. I think yeah. I start suffering from early stage dementia from too many explosions <laughs> around my head. Um, <laughs> um, like I went in with this intention of having a really strong mindset for it, sort of thing. So it was probably more just enduring through the discomfort because I knew there was something of value to me, or exploring the country or the curiosity that was driving me was way yeah. more powerful than the discomfort, where yeah. previously, I think I just suffered. Like uh, when I did the selection course, that's suffering.
0: Yeah, yeah. Brilliant.
1: Because they're people are deliberately imposing things on you that you're just trying to get through. You're just trying to get through it. Yeah. Do what you need to do to get to the end sort of thing. So this was completely different because it was completely volitional. There wasn't a single component of this. Yeah. Yeah wasn't really a choice I made. So if if the weather was really bad and I was inside a hut and I went out, that's a choice. So there's, I think you're right. There's no suffering on the other side of that. I've made a choice to go out into the difficulty. So now I've just got to kind of have the strength to get through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like another word that you've used on a few occasions is procrastination. And (laughs) I think it's a word that, a lot of people are paralysed by. Now, I think there's a huge difference procrastinating whether I get out of this warm sleeping bag and go out into these elements, which might be minus forty, as opposed to what should I get next from from the fridge. But how do you overcome that sort of procrastination? Like, because you seem quite aware of of what's going of what's going on, and okay, I'll do it in a minute. I'll do it in a minute. And in the environment that you are in, that's totally acceptable in my eyes because it's like uh, <laughs> this one more minute in my sleeping bag will allow me to do these next sixteen hours. But we see a lot of procrastination in the world at the moment, like People will put stuff off. How do we? How do we stop that?
1: Yeah. So again, I think it's context. So I'll give the context that I understand. Uh, yeah. Sort of thing. So like, and again. Like, I'll talk about things, but it's not, you know, this is exactly how it is. It's more of just a generalisation of, you know, exploring a concept. Yeah. And I'll use examples of those sort of things. Um, Yeah. So, like, if I'm laying in that bag, it's not procrastination. In reality, it's I'm afraid to go out there into the cold. I just, I don't want that (laughs) discomfort, so I'm putting it off because I'm I'm avoiding that discomfort. So it's an avoidance behaviour in that case. You know, I'm warm, I don't want to be cold, so I'm just going to lay there and pretend that, you know, I need to put my socks on slower or something. So in that case, it's just fear. Like it's just afraid to go out there and face that discomfort. And at some point you build the motivation or, yeah, and even our sort of a lot of our um, neuromodulators and our threat system is actually designed to motivate us or activate us into doing something to go seek or avoid type of thing. So, you know, there is some sort of, physiological things there that will assist but yeah at some point i'm like all right you know what i can't just sit here because that ends poorly anyway so let's go let's get this done let's get into it um if Uh, i'm at the the bottle shop and there's 500 craft beers in the window that's not procrastination either that's just indecision because i don't know which one i'm gonna like and i'm probably afraid of picking a really of one that i don't like sort of thing so yeah. yeah i don't know like it's it comes down to the context i think so i don't know i'll do some work in sort of Um, decision-making or emotion and cognition in decision-making because everything we do is based on emotions and feelings sort of thing you know like i Mm. tell them what you're going to have for lunch or dinner is based on emotion that's an emotional choice like everything then it's never separated so when they talk about you'll see people who are procrastinating on a difficult decision it's usually they're stuck in like a what's considered an orienting behavior where they're trying to get more information because they don't want to actually have to make a choice or a decision so often procrastination is just around almost not getting out to do what you're afraid of doing. You know what I mean? Like if people want to go and set a goal or do something and procrastinating about it, there's a fear or there's something they're afraid of on the other side of that that they just don't know how to confront or get over or handle. And then you know a couple of extra resources or something like that, they understand how to solve that problem and off they go. So
0: yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's it. I think a lot of in a lot of situations, a lot of procrastination is based on lack of information, which will yep. then help people to make the correct decision. And they, in that state, they're too scared that they're going to make – there's this fear, like you said, of making a wrong decision.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like we'll talk about in the military, bad decisions better than no decision. Yeah. And, you know, even for me, I'd rather – Live with having made a suboptimal decision and live with regret that I never actually did something. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like doing, there's a lot of risk going into remote Alaska on your own. Like a lot of things can go wrong. <laughs> Do you reckon? <laughs> 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 I come <laughs> back with all my fingers and toes that worked out. Um, yeah. So sort I of think you kind of accept that risk, but, you know, I'd rather have gone out and not made it or gone out and just had to get rescued than have never, ever tried to do it. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Because there is a limit to what I'm willing to risk to get to the end sort of thing. So there's a point there where it's like, all right, my fingers are more valuable than getting to Nome this year. Or, you know what I mean? Like I don't want to have my nose cut off my face because I was too persistent to try and get there sort of thing. So when I spoke about yeah. last time that, you know, quitting is almost like a cancer, there's still rational decision-making about whether, yeah. There's value yeah. in stopping now, which is not really quitting. It's just like, okay, I don't have the resources at this point in time to get there. Okay. Yeah. If it's valuable enough to me, then I'll find a way and I'll come back. Or you just like, okay, you know what? This isn't what I thought it was.
0: I imagine, mate, in your early career in the special forces, you probably made slightly more irrational decisions that could have put your life and health and well-being in danger but i feel now you're almost a lot more calculated in what you're doing that you yeah, you've come back with all your fingers and toes you you have this responsibility of of your family and outside of these challenges you still want to you still want to ensure that you maintain a good quality of life and that means not coming back with like a couple of fingers less how do you <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you sort of all that together mate because you're in a you're in a savage environment and you're sort of pushing the limits of 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 human endurance but there's almost i don't know is there like a safety net like there's certain things that you won't expose yourself to because your priorities in life have perhaps changed
1: yeah definitely i reckon i've become a lot better at assessing risk as of age that's for sure um you know and i think you get More wisdom as you age based off experiences and this sort of thing, and you understand limitations a little bit better. And you just are a little bit more risk adverse. In saying that, I'm still, I still think I'm probably developing more courage in some areas (laughs) than what I used to anyway. Um, But back then, like that was an environment where, you know, it's within that environment, it's promoted that it's a no fail mission unit sort of thing. So whatever your task is, you have to get out there and get it done. So I think you can't always achieve the objective you're after but you have to put yourself in a position where it's possible sort of thing. Like if you say, I'm going to go and get this done and you get there, you know, that may not be there any longer sort of thing. So you kind of achieve as absolutely as much as you can sort of thing. And you do take a lot of risks when you're doing that.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: like you're so focused on what you're doing. Nothing else sort of matters. sort of thing. So like there was a, an instance there. I kind of mentioned it a little bit when we were chatting before where I was in a helicopter coming in at night. Um, when they come in in the desert, you get what they call brownout because the rotor blades just wash up all the dust. And we're yeah. coming in really, f- like, we're flying as close as we can, as fast as you can, and then you slow down as quick as you can, and then try and land, and everyone gets out, do, does their job, because you don't want everyone running off. You know, like, they know yeah. helicopters come, it's time for me to leave. So we're coming in, and we just didn't decelerate fast enough, smashed into the ground, bounced off the earth, and then kind of full momentum, we hit again, and then the pilot sort of accelerated and tried to lift off. There's all this dust everywhere. I thought we were actually going to hit the compound in front of us. And then we sort of cleared that somehow, come around, just repeat the same thing again, lift off, come around. And then we sort of got to a point where inside the helo, and you can't talk, like you can't talk inside a helicopter because of the noise, despite what you sort of see in the movies. And then we're sort of pointing out slugs, pointing to each other, indicating as soon as this thing gets close to the ground, just jump out of it. Like just out. Do yeah. not, don't stay in this thing because I don't want to be in a crash. And then we get out and then it's straight into the job. So almost completely forgot about all the um, chaos that was there. And then it's just straight into our job sort of thing. Um, and then I found out years later that I'd had a cracked neck, which I think is what happened at that point because we landed so hard. The jarring from the helmet and MVGs, I think, put a stress fracture through my neck, which I only just found out about. Um, but like you just, you go on, then the next day you go out again, sort of thing. So like, you just, you become really good at going through these sort of experiences but then just getting straight back onto task because that's the environment that you're in. Where now, if I was on the way to work and had a car accident, like I'm not going to work. I'm going to solve this problem make sure everything's sorted. Yeah. So I think where back then, you're like, i still got to get to work, you know what I mean? (laughs) The world depends on me. (laughs) You tell yourself these things and then the minute you walk out the door, you're replaced and you become irrelevant straight away.
0: Yeah, it's it, it it's interesting as well. Like I guess it's a little bit sort of in the environment that you're in, in, in in the special forces. That was there is no sort of the risk assessment is diff is different, right? You know, and and whereas when you're out doing something that you volunteered to be there for, and you know you have family back at home and those commitments back at home, you're probably a little bit more. And I think I think you're right, mate. A little bit more sort of risk averse with that with age probably comes into it as well whilst not just being totally weak about things
1: yeah i never had kids back then either sort of thing so like was, yeah. if something happened like i'm i i was not going to have um kids without a dad growing up sort of thing so like there was less at stake yeah. sort of thing and somehow you convince yourself that you know this is so important it's worth my life you look yeah. you're I didn't give my life for that crap. <laughs> <You know laughs> I mean? Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, where, and like, I'm not going to die. Like, if I go to the South Pole, I'm not going to die or risk dying to get there. So, sort of if I get to a point where it's just not feasible, then yeah. I'm, I'm paying the money to get rescued. And then I'll, uh, if I want so I'll come back. If not, then I'll just tick that box off and move on to something yeah. else. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Mate, I
0: think. For me, one of the most interesting parts of this whole trip was the fact that you managed to get back and realise that all of the footage on your GoPro had no (laughs) voice on it at all. How disappointed were you at that?
1: I was straight away. I thought I I could recover it, so I still had hope to begin with. And then I was like, I can't recover this. Um, And then it was done. Like, you know what I mean? Like I sort of I was really disappointed in the fact it didn't have the voice to go with it, but yeah. it would have just been gibberish anyway, because I was that incoherent at times. Um, but it probably would have been more amusing. And then I was like, oh, well, I can't get upset about it, like I can't I cannot change anything. So and I'm not going back just to record audio. So, so I'll just do what I can and ultimately. You know, like, it, it makes no difference to things. Really. Yeah. So I recorded a lot of it because I wanted to log it for my kids when they're old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I just shared it on social media because there was a heap of people that were really interested by the fact that I'd walked that distance. Yeah. Um, but I just did some voiceovers. I thought, oh, it's not a big deal. Like,
0: Hilarious. At the end of the day,
1: it's not a problem, but it was pretty disappointing. Because really you can't check it out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, mate, it's I, I know what you mean. Like it's it's been and it's done, but oh, geez, it would be I mean, because it is unique, mate. You're there 26 days, and I'm sure some of the some of the conversations. I, I take my GoPro everywhere, and, and sometimes I just record stuff that I never even bother sharing like anywhere, it's just for me. But it's almost like I'm having a conversation with myself, and I, I watch them back and I'm like that was really cool, you know, or I'll have something <laughs> on my mind and then just have all of that removed is just like, oh, you'd be devastated. And then you're like, well, it happened. You can't, yeah. there's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: I missed out on getting a lot of footage. Because firstly, they, they don't work when it gets below minus 10. Like your battery yeah, is like 10, 15 seconds at best. So sort of cut out. Uh, right. And then when there's wind, I'm not taking my gloves off to record uh. You know, a selfie video. Like, I'm keeping my fingers for the sake of a video. Yeah. I'll just capture what I can, what I don't. Like, it doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) Mate, I have to ask you did you actually beat the American guy? Because there's an American guy that was given exactly the same time as you. And I somehow feel a little bit disappointed if that was correct.
1: Yeah, no, we came in together. So oh, we kind of no. uh, good tip. Um we're, we're moving at very similar speeds. And then yeah. around about, so you get to McGrath, you go through a couple of villages. It's I think it's maybe 50, 70 miles, and it splits. You, there's a northern route and a southern route. And when you go north, right. it's 150 miles of nothing. There's two shelter cabins and there's they put in a tent for the actual Iditarod dog race, which you can stay right. there, but there's nothing sort of thing. So we kind of stayed together a little bit during that period. Um, like together is within 10 miles of each other. Like sort of walk along. <laughs> You're not
0: like that. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: it might be an hour where you're inside of each other or, you know, yeah. you'll you'll have something to eat and he'll, he might come along and stop for a chat. And you might give him some food or something. He gives you some food and then you sort of might follow each other for a little bit. And then, you know, we'd hit the tent within about half hour of each other. And then we got to the, uh, town at the end of that and i think we'll maybe i think we got into the town almost at the same time because we we're trying to work out where this home or this b&b was because nothing's really there's no real good directions to anything you kind of get to the village like alright now have got gonna work out where i'm supposed to stay thankfully they're not very big um uh, so we kind of were spending the nights together so we'd hit the schools or the village within an hour of each other sort of thing so then on the last day we'll just sort of um i think i was ahead I know, but probably about a couple of miles before. And so I just stopped and he came up and then we just walked into the village or walked into Nome together, sort of thing. So he's uh, kind of been on and off. And he was a good dude, sort of thing. So I had uh, a bottle of whiskey to celebrate. I gave him a shot of whiskey, sort of thing. And um, yeah, we got the same time. So uh, the last thing. I, was, I thought it'd be rude if I just took it off, you know, 10 miles from Nome and made it into a race because, like, I don't care. No, I don't well, care. exactly. I think he actually but- came in in front of me, but they gave me – like a second ahead of him or something. So uh, anyway. brilliant. I don't even know what position it was. I think it's six or seven, maybe. Yeah,
0: so, yeah looking looking at the site, I think yeah, it was six or seven yeah, fifth. Six six, it, towards, ultimately, it, by that
1: stage, it, it wasn't important. It was just yeah. getting to know him and then kind of having done it. Yeah,
0: mate. I, I guess that's what that's what is important, mate. I want to wrap up by flipping back to sort of something that was actually in that podcast and you mentioned with, with with johnny wilkinson because often when people speak to people about these events or is like what so what's next and i don't think that's a very it's an interesting question but i don't think it's I, I think i know there will be a next but what will you ever be satisfied mate is it a case of being satisfied is it a case of okay, you did 350 miles in this in this brutal environment. Now you've gone and done 1,000 miles in this brutal environment. Does there always have to be more? Are we always going to add one to it? Is that something that keeps us going as human beings and keeps us exploring, keeps us, us learning? Is it important or is it seen in a different way?
1: I don't know. Again, I think for me personally, I think I'll keep, looking to test myself I'll keep looking for things to do. Like even if you go back to early humanity, there were people that crossed America. There were people that, you know, I mean, like humanity allegedly left the plains of Africa at some point and to explore the world sort of thing. I think it's the Molecule of More book talks about the further people are from Africa, the more dopamine they have almost. Like they're driven by dopamine to seek their environment. So there's always going to be people out there that are high dopaminergic that are going to just seek things. So, you know, they're going to explore their world. Like we've always had explorers. Like yeah. There's people going to Mars. And 20 years ago, I probably would have looked at that with a bit of fascination. There's no way coming back, so I don't know if I would have gone because I don't think... <laughs> I think it could get exciting up there at some point just living with the same people. 100%. <laughs> know, one of those people is at risk of wigging out. Um, but sort of things, so I think they're always there. Then for me, there probably was a point in time where it was about proving things. So yeah. I probably got involved at some point and there was probably a mix between curiosity and fascination and proving something where I'm kind of matured past that point now. So I'm not out to try and prove anything. So it's always exploring, but then there's people where that is about the next goal. So I know I did some work with a, an ultra marathon runner that was doing one of the sort of real specialized races that are in the world. Which is kind of not too many people finish and he wanted the record. That's he just wanted to get the record. So, you know, you could argue that that's about status. I don't think he achieved. I think he finished, but I don't think he achieved the record sort of thing. So, you know, I think it depends on the individual. But I know if you're seeking something, there's never going to be enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I've seen that in combat sort of thing. Like, There's people out there that they just want more. They want to be in that environment more. So I don't know what they're searching for in there or what they think is going to be fulfilled by that environment, but you will never have enough. Sort of thing and then I think they're the ones that you see with the beards, the full sleeve tattoos, talking about drinking whiskey in the morning and self-medicating, sort of thing, because whatever they're looking for wasn't there. So now awesome.
0: uh, yeah you know in mean, their unfulfilled.
1: So I, I think it comes down to the individual sort of thing. But I don't know. Like oh, I've got a fascination the the two little yard monkeys behind me um they're quite keen on it so as they get older we'll start exploring sort of longer treks and that sort of thing and one of them's already talking about doing that. i did a ride with me um and i also wow. said probably on a bike because i don't know if i can walk it in another 15 years um <laughs> but they're really interested in that stuff so that's cool I don't know yeah. if i if i do with them then that will be more of a bonding experience sort of thing. yeah Just because as i was out there I thought it would be great this year to Gone out on a bike with the boys because it was such a great year to be on a bike because you could just ride from checkpoint to checkpoint, hut to hut, and it just would have been an amazing experience. So, yeah. I
0: don't know,
1: like it's whether I'll do it. It won't be a while because I've got other commitments I want to focus on for the time being. But yeah, I don't know. Is in that
0: case, mate, because you because you've done a few of these type of things, do you find the returns? Or the learnings are diminishing or increasing as you go. Do you get more out of more out of something, or, or are they all? Is it all a little bit different?
1: I think it depends. So, like the 50k I do on the weekend, I'm not going to learn anything from that except that I'm probably not ready for it, sort of thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. I'm not a good ultra runner. Like I can walk, yeah. but running's not my thing. So, like when you talk yeah. about how I break it down, I know the first 20 kilometers will be all right. 20 to sort of 30 will be a bit of a hole. 30 to 40 will be a real struggle. 40 to 45, I'll be doing okay. 45 to 50, I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, I kind of yeah, know that's roughly yeah, how it's going to yeah. go. We're back so on that, that graph. It, <laughs> it will um, yeah, People take sort of thing. But then on the the thing I did in right I think I learned more on that than I learned on the previous two races combined. So when I did the right. Yukon, it was really good trail. It uh, wasn't much snow. It was pretty cold, but nothing that really prepared me for what the first trip to Alaska was going to be. So the first time I went to Alaska for that, for the Iditarod going from the Yukon, the trail was nowhere near as good. It snowed a lot. I was on in snowshoes the whole time. which is a completely different experience. And then right. on that, there was a few experiences where I just let the difficulty of the situation get to me probably a little bit too much. So when right. I went into this one, I decided that I was going to go in with a completely intentional mindset that when things got difficult, I wasn't going to entertain sort of um, avoidance or negative thoughts or any sort of mental weakness. And so early on, and it creeps in at night, it creeps in when you're tired, hungry, these sort of things. So as it crept in, I just had a couple of simple phrases that I'd use to realign back onto just getting what I needed done, done. And then after a while, that sort of, the negative thoughts kind of went away. So I learned probably more from this one than I had before. And then I was just curious about a couple of things that I'd sort of been looking at in research and that sort of thing to see how they go in that environment. So, um, yeah, I still find benefit in it. Yeah. You know, like they do get a bit monotonous, so to speak, if you keep doing the same sort of thing.
0: But I I guess, mate, what what is quite interesting is what you said there. Obviously, you're still studying PhD, you're into research, you like reading stuff, you like exploring, you like learning. So combining that, let's call it more theoretical side with actually the practical side, the focus of, if you said like five, 10 years ago, yeah, it's all about like learning how I deal with things in situations. Now maybe it's more about, okay, I've read about this and I've learned about this. Let's see what it looks like at minus 50 when I don't really want to move forward. Does that, maybe the, maybe the focus has changed a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I'd, there's a i go out there deliberately to sort of investigate some of these things that you yeah. see in a lab because not much of a lab really transfers to the real world no, nothing not really. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> there's been huge advances in the lab and the world's still moving in a really shit direction um, like bro. nothing changes so yeah. sometimes I go out there just to sort of see other things it's kind of yeah like i'm still really keen or i'll come up with an idea so i in that environment i'll just see whether it's something that's practical or not um, yeah sort of thing so yeah i don't know like it's i do have more notes i took a few more notes this time based on around what helped me what didn't around yeah the mental side of things um but yeah still learning
0: at this point in the recording dan's two sons came into the room so we had a quick chat Dad was just telling me that you guys are quite keen to go on one of these trips with him.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you could
0: say that. Uh, yes, you could say that. You fancy a thousand miles up there in the cold? Kinda. Of. Kinda. I'm sure. I'm sure he's he's putting a good path for you.
1: I don't think they've got any understanding of what it requires, though. No. Nah, nah. <laughs> well, when did uh because they wanted me to come down to their school and do a chat sort of thing. So I yeah. think they want they wanted me to come down, I think, because you know it makes them feel good type of thing. Um and I spoke to their classes. I was gonna do it separately, but they just did it as a collective because it ended up being easier. So I presented like just 20 minutes worth of photos and just a really quick overview of what it was, and then we're there for 45 minutes and the kids just asking one question after another sort of thing, and Brilliant. it's just, it was so a, awesome, hilarious some of the questions I was getting and just where their little minds yeah. were going, sort of thing. Yeah. And the kids we're like, right, we're gonna to have to get back to class, but
0: yeah, mate, it's good. It's um it's good to see, like, even based on like what, what we've spoken about, it's good to see that kids still have, and I think it's exactly what you said, like as humans, we have this desire to explore and to yeah. see to see stuff so despite all the sort of issues that we see in in education these days which are so hard to to sort of put together like it's just great to see that kids are still interested in exploration and man i'm sure it's super inspiring and dad's plus dad's gone for like a month it's like where's dad for a month <laughs> you
1: know yeah well, <laughs> watching the tracker like um, my wife was saying they come home from school, it's like, oh, can we put the tracker on? They're just obsessed with watching how far I was going watching this yeah. little blue dot move across the map. Um yeah. but yeah, but like when you sort of talk about kids, like I don't think any kid grows up thinking, you know, I want to be homeless or I want to be a criminal. No. Sort of like you go and ask any three to five-year-old or older, what do you want to do? Like they've always got these huge aspirations of everything they want to do. And then That's trying right. to their environment or their resources just kind of takes that away from them and then you know they yeah. end up down these other paths sort of thing so you know I see a lot of things where society has just kind of um not neglected but almost set these kids up for failure like yeah sort of thing. Like we've failed them as a community as a society sort of thing because everyone's yeah. kind of on that merry-go-round trying to get Big house, the big car, yeah. trying to
0: yeah. prove their value, yeah.
1: sort of thing. So, you know, it's easy to get stuck into or stuck on. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs>
0: it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's a tough situation. And yeah. it's, it's sort of these, these things keep coming up and I speak about them a lot. It's interesting to, to get sort of takes from, from all different people. But I think, like, almost like you're doing, mate, with, with, with your boys, if, if we can create, what we believe in the moment is the right environment for children to have the very best chance at success and of joining enjoying the things that we've enjoyed without trying to live vicariously through them. Then yeah. that's how that's the best way that we can serve the next generation. And I think that's what our, like our parents did for us as well. They just gave us what they thought was the best environment. And then we've kind of, we're all going to be different and we all kind of go in our ways, but at least if we have some sort of, solid environment to kick it off then we will naturally swim in the direction that we'll swim in I think
1: yeah yeah so yeah I'll just let them explore like if they want to do something let's go look at that let's look at this and eventually they'll find something they like you know what I mean like I'll try not to just expose them to what I like Like I've had a discussion about a month or two ago where because I certain sports I watch so they watch the sports I watch so they're the sports that they think are important I was like if you play a sport that I don't watch just let me know you know what I mean like don't (laughs) Yeah. be influenced by what I do because there's things out there they're yeah. curious about but it's like yeah. oh, dad's not interested in it so I can't do it it's like well just so I don't watch it doesn't mean that I'm not going to enjoy watching you do
0: it yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. so it's just
1: kind <clears> of <throat> let them have as much opportunity as they can and whatever they do they do like I'm not I'm not my outcomes aren't tied to you know if they're doing something that I'm living through like you're saying vicariously so yeah yeah I, I stuffed up my own shit so I'm not going to do it to them
0: <laughs> brilliant <laughs> Hey, listen, I'm not going to take too much more of your time. I just, I have one last question, mate. And it's, it's quite a, I guess it's quite a textbook one, but with regards to this last challenge, a thousand miles across Alaska, was there one or two things that you learned maybe about yourself or maybe about the, the Northern Lights that you didn't know going into it that sort of stick in your mind now is like that trip will be remembered for X, Y, or Z?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. I, was just, I kind of think back to it and think, you know, what did I learn? These sort of things. Um, I guess probably it helped me remove a lot of what ego I still had sort nice. of because there were times where I was still trying to chase a few ego based things and then, This kind of helped me remove a lot of that because I think I've come back from that and I'm even less concerned about how I think other people perceive me sort of thing. Like I'm happier just kind of doing my own thing and, you know, if you don't like it, that's fine. Go do what you like to do and just leave me alone Um, sort of thing. So I think it kind of helped me get rid of some of that stuff. And then just around some of how I approach things mentally, I kind of improved on some of that as well, I think.
0: That's cool.
1: Probably the big ones is kind of just letting go of that hold on sort of ego or status. You know, just removing some of what what was left. Sort of thing. There's still some a way to go with these things, but you know, I think it definitely helped a lot.
0: I think that's cool, mate. You're you're actually the first person that's directly said that. I've asked that question quite a few times to people, sort of after events, and I I think it's. I think the way that you put it is, is brilliant, mate. You sort of, each time you go out and do something like this, you, you, you sort of shave off a little bit of that ego that actually just holds us back in the end.
1: Oh, massively. Like, I feel a lot more comfortable, almost a little bit more free to kind of do and say what I want within reason. Like, you can't be a complete Yeah, prick. yeah. Um, yeah. You know There's no I mean? need
0: to be a dickhead, right?
1: <laughs> no. <But. laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know what? This is kind of how... I'm going to do things. And most of it's based around like good values and morally moral sort yeah. of things anyway. So it's not like I'm going to come out and become some sort of sociopath. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, it kind of, it, um, but even posting all those videos and everything like that, in, in a sense, that was a little bit around sort of being more vulnerable around things. So, you know, yeah. I, this is what I look like when I'm shit. And like yeah. every everyone out there, I suffer. I feel like shit. I reckon I aged, in those videos, if you watch it from start to finish, I aged it's about 40 brilliant. years.
0: It's so good, <laughs> mate. When you posted the I one was, at the end, the, I'm like. The
1: comparisons.
0: <laughs> Absolute that, gold, mate. That yeah. last
1: one was a tough day. Um, yeah. I didn't even sleep that well because I got to the shelter cabin and then the American guy arrived a little bit after me and the fire was a little bit difficult to get going, so he tried to put a little bit more into it. And then it really got going, so it turned the cabin into a sauna. Um, so I just couldn't sleep in there. So, so I didn't get much sleep. And then the next day, it was just, it was a horrible day. But it was the last day. I was like, okay, oh, I'm, I'm just going to get it done. I shot that video. And then I looked back and I was like, holy shit. Oh, <laughs> I was is like it, the walking I'm, dead.
0: Literally, mate. is absolutely gold. But I mean, that's the thing as well, mate. And that's where I think it's, you know, that that's what helps a lot of people and where you will and you are having an impact on people is it's just, it's just real, mate. Like, and once the ego is gone and you just... You know, this is me. And, you know, I don't look like a supermodel. I mean, you look like a supermodel most days, mate, but you don't look like a supermodel every day. (laughs)
1: Well, I still got a little way to go because, you know, like I don't want to put out that perception that here I am smashing the idea, right? Here I am doing a PhD. Here I was, you know, the special operator. It's like, you know what? Yeah. Nothing came, nothing was easy. Like things I did well that I really worked for and I was willing to put the effort into it, you know, and then. I still sort of like I have days where I wake up and I just couldn't be bothered getting out of bed. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, like everybody else is like, all right, you know, what? I was going to get up, I'll get the kids ready because I don't have a choice there. I've got to. They're relying on me, which is probably yeah. a good motivator anyway. And it's like, sure. oh, i let's go downstairs, do a little bit of work and try and do something. So there's days where I get nothing done, you know, like most people sort of think. So, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, like no one ever, like, and people talk about it all the time, no one ever puts out, their actual real self and their struggles and this sort of thing. But people are really yeah. interested in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it always nice. resonates really well. Yeah. No, mate, that's awesome. We'll wrap it up, mate. You've given me so much, so much of the time and you've given the listeners so much good chat, mate. So I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's, it's good to catch up. And I said this uh, last time, but actually haven't been to Australia since we spoke, mate. We spoke in September, 2020 and yeah. I still, still haven't still haven't made it down there. But uh, when I come yeah, down, Yeah, we shut our
1: borders. To, yeah. You know, we just locked everybody out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sort of seems to have backfired a little bit. But anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, mate. We'll, um, yeah, we'll, ca- we'll catch up. But, mate, that's super awesome. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you going through. 20, 26, 27 days of, uh, of enjoyment. So you can, so you can share this stuff and it's hugely inspiring for me, mate. And, and I'm sure hugely inspiring for people that, that have listened in. So I appreciate it, mate.
1: Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Um, I always enjoy our chats and it's always, I enjoy sort of sharing it. Cause one of the things that I do like about sharing it is sort of letting people know that like to, the reality was if people seen where I was as a youngster to where I've got to now, like it's, I wasn't athletic nothing like that like this is just belief and work through sort of things so, so it is you know what if there's something you want to do like we are far more capable than people give themselves credit for so you know what i mean like if this inspires you know just two people to go out and do something that they thought was previously impossible then you know what i mean like it's for me that's enough of a difference
0: awesome mate enjoy the rest of your day keep those kids Training hard and uh, we have been Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah we'll do. I think we're about to go to sports, sort of. So
0: awesome. Anyway. Mate, oh, no, Thanks, Lockoops. Cheers, mate. Bye. No worries,